0: I mean, it was close. I mean, we, we almost made it to the 80s clap out of that. I mean, that one started, and then the other one was like, do I start? And then y'all didn't join. And so they they stopped. Um, you know, I, I was reminded as I was walking up here about where God has taken us and where he continues to lead us as we enter into this year of celebration, um, you know, as I was preparing this sermon series last year as I was praying through it and asking God to breathe over it, I started to think through what do we celebrate and how do we celebrate when we don't want to? Because, I mean, that's, that's the real test of celebration, right? That's the real test of anything, really. Servanthood its the test of relationships. It's the test of workmanship. It is finishing when you don't want to. Because, I mean, if we're going to celebrate God, it means that we celebrate God in the times where we are enthusiastic and ready and in the times when we don't want to do anything. Because celebration to God is not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon Him. Because is God worthy to celebrate when we don't feel like it? The answer should always be yes, but frankly, our faces don't show our hearts that. We, we just kind of live our lives as though we only need to celebrate God when he makes us happy. And let me just tell you, if your fellowship with God is only dependent upon your happiness, you do not know Jesus Christ. I do not believe that Jesus is just the Savior so that you're happy. I do not believe that Jesus is just the Savior so that your, your time on earth is good. Frankly, if we're being honest, there are so many people that live their everyday life In complete suffering before God on our celebrating Him today. You see, the issue of celebration doesn't come with you being really uh, ready to stand and clap your hands. Celebration of God is dependent upon a God in heaven who is still holy and still awesome and still amazing in spite of us. Because we kind of ruin this thing. I want to make a, an admission before we start this sermon today of something that I believe that Satan is using us for. You know, I, I've i been a student the last few days of news, like many of you, that watched the inauguration. I don't know if y'all watched the, uh, the Women's March on Washington, if you watched any of that. Um, I do, however, realize that my close circle of Christian friends use that as their platform to destroy the world on social media. I mean, just flat out gouge the world. Can I just be honest with you? Let's not use our social media platforms to tell people how much we hate the world. Let's use it to show them how much Jesus died and loved it. That has nothing to do with the sermon. Maybe it does. Maybe God's going to bring that back around in this moment, but I, as broken hearted as I was listening to the people in Washington, as broken hearted as I was seeing the people destroy the city, as, as broken hearted as I was hearing the, the, the hatred that came over microphones over this past weekend, that didn't break my heart near as much as the church's response. We can do better. We owe it to Jesus to do better. I believe that we need to be celebratory people that say, we hear you. We hear you. Jesus hears you. Now watch the church respond. That should be our response. I'm still reminded of the story that didn't make national news but that I got in a news feed in my email that said that churches all around Washington hearing the Women's March on Washington set stations up for water and snacks. They didn't agree with what was being done, but they showed up. That's our job in this world, is to show up, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, because he's left us that ministry. We are to be the salt and light of the world, a city that cannot be hidden. Let's not celebrate the things that are unworthy, let's celebrate the one who is. In all of our actions, in all of our ways, let's make him known before us. There is a man that was born in the Great Depression. He uh, was raised by an alcoholic father that died when he was young. After graduation, his mother died of pneumonia. He went on to pursue a fine arts degree, and in the midst of war, went to uh, to enlist. He was weak. He was not strong. He didn't have the mental fortitude and was rejected. He ultimately gave himself over to a greater power and he changed the world. That was Captain America. There's another man that was born in the Great Depression. He was raised by very strict parents. He, uh, was, he went one day to a youth group and was pushed out because they considered him to be too worldly. And at the age of 16, he gave himself over to a greater power, and he ultimately changed the world. His name was Billy Graham. You know, I kind of think sometimes that the only heroes that we see in our lives are those that we write in books about. You see, Billy Graham went to see a man who preached a crusade that, let me just tell you, if you knew your history, the man that preached Billy Graham's crusade was anti-Semitic. He was was sexist. He was rude. He was just one of those guys that if you went to go here today, you would go, oh my word. And frankly, we wouldn't like him very much. Billy Graham goes at the age of 16 to hear this man preach and gives his life to Christ and pursues Jesus with a lifetime of ministry. He sits over about eight intimate uh, relationships with presidents over his tenure. He moves nations. He holds rallies where he sells out uh, stadiums full of people to come hear the gospel. And listen, let's just be honest. If today a man started having revival services, and he asked George Beverly Shea to be his musical act, very few people would be inspired today. But even in his day, George Beverly Shea sang low, didn't he? And many people started to criticize Billy Graham about his choice. Did y'all know that? They sent him letters telling him there's better singers out there. Told him that there is better acts that he could have. People that would attract the young people is what they said. And so you know what Billy Graham did that next crusade? He gave George Beverly Shea about 45% of the time that next time. And he listened. And they still, oh, he's not good, you need to get rid of him. Then he got 50%. Oh, he's not good, then he got 70%. 70% of listening to George Beverly Shay singing, 30% of Billy Graham preaching. And the people quit talking. That's why one, one time he stands up and he says, If you came to be moved by a man behind a pulpit, you can leave. Because this man is moved by a God in heaven who actually can change your life. It's powerful. When we give ourselves over to something greater than us, that power will shift us to places we could never go. I am nothing more than a kid that was born and raised in the oil fields of Texas. That's my lineage. I was raised by an accountant and a stay-at-home mom. Ultimately, that accountant gave his life over to Christ into full time ministry, and it changed our world. I didn't grow up in mansions, didn't grow up in luxury. I grew up in in parsonages. I grew up going to every meeting, ask my kids. Grew up going to every workday, grew up going to every visitation. I grew up going. So when my friends would come and say, hey, can you go to this? I would ask my dad, can I go? And he'd say, well, we got a work day, so no. And I'd go, oh, work day, yay. You know the kind of work days in churches growing up where it was my dad, myself, and usually one other person. And dad was like, let's get after it, y'all. I grew up a guy that, that needed Jesus desperately but just didn't realize it at the time. I've said long before that at age seven, I invited Christ into my heart. Little Tent Revival, Crosbyton, Texas. But can I just tell you something? At age seven, I didn't know really the rescuing power of Jesus over a life like I do today. Because see, when I was in my teenage years, I lived like a teenager. How about you? And I desperately needed a Savior. And I can remember being in A disciple now at our church, and the disciple now preacher preaching and saying how Christ can take a life that seems ordinary and make it extraordinary, and I didn't have that. I just remember telling the Lord, I know you as Savior, I've known you since seven. Why is my life no different? And he said, Because you've never given me your everything. You see, at the time as a teenager, I'd given Jesus my heart, but I hadn't given my relationships, my future. My anything, and Jesus was patiently waiting for that encounter. In my teenage years, I believe today that some of you have come to church today, and Jesus has been patiently waiting for you to give Him your everything. And I'm praying today that as we go through the text, your heart will be so turned and so uh, so gripped that you couldn't do anything but walk the aisle at the end of service and give Him your everything. That is my prayer for you, because I believe that when God takes a life, he changes it completely. And with that kind of person, God can change the world. I prayed for the last eight years for our president. I prayed every morning that the Lord would watch over Barack Obama, which would protect him. He, his wife, his girls. I prayed that he would make sound decisions. I prayed that God would lead him, that he would orchestrate great people around him. I prayed that he would be the greatest president we ever had. I'm praying the same thing for Donald Trump. I prayed the same thing for both George Bush and George Bush. I prayed the same thing for Bill Clinton. I prayed the same thing all of my life for our presidents. Because can I tell you what happened after the inauguration? I went to bed that night, and I woke up the next day. How about you? And you know what I noticed? Although our president changed, God was still on the throne. And as long as he is on the throne, I've got a reason to celebrate. How about you? Because see, although I have a risen Savior, he is not the one in the White House. Nor has he ever been declared our president. So I don't depend upon the man or the woman that will ultimately fill that office. Because I serve a Jesus who is my King eternal, who is the ruler of my heart, the Savior of my soul. You see, when Jesus gets a hold of you, he never lets go. Even when we kick and throw a fit like a baby, he holds on. In Psalms 28, verse 6, the writer says, May the Lord be praised, for he has heard the sound of my pleading. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart rejoices and I praise him with my song. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is a stronghold of salvation for his anointed. Save your people, bless your possession, shepherd them, and carry them forever. You know, I kind of wonder sometimes what it would have taken to be David. I don't know if he ever had that moment where he felt at peace. I don't know if David ever had that moment that he felt calm. He was always the young one. He was always the abandoned one. He was always the challenged one. He was always the hunted one. He was always the perplexed one. He was always the wounded one. Can you find yourself in any of those? I know I can. It reminds me today, as we read the words of David, a few things. The first off is, we all start out weak, defenseless, untrusting, and abandoned. We all start off with those key things in our lives. We all start off with this weakness that we need someone that would hold us and take care of us. Remind yourselves of what it was like to be a baby for a second. It might have been yesterday. Remind yourself of what it took to be taken care of. You were defenseless. You were untrusting. You didn't quite know who to lean into. Remind yourself of the toddler years. You remember those years when someone would say, come here to me, and you'd go, I don't know you. What about abandoned? What about abandoned? You know, as I think about the physical self, we have to remind ourselves of the spiritual one. You see, without Jesus, you have no strength. Without the Lord, you are defenseless. The evil one has nothing but just straight fires right at your soul. You are untrusting. And while you think you may have trust in things, I can assure you of this. When you have no one that lasts eternal, everyone is untrustworthy. The next you may feel abandoned. I can guarantee you this. Without him, we're just tossed like a ship on the sea, aren't we? But the greatness of this passage is where it starts in verse 6 for me. It says this, May the Lord be praised for he has heard the sound of my pleading. That's prayer. The Lord hears the prayers of his people. He always has. The Lord hears the prayers of his people. He hears them today. He hears the prayers of his people in Amarillo. He hears the prayers of his people in Austin. He hears the prayers of his people in Chicago. He hears the prayers of his people in England and in Zimbabwe. And Even if there's an astronaut in space, he hears their prayers. There is nowhere that God cannot hear the prayers of his people. He hears the prayers of his people when they are small and when they are old. He hears the prayers of his people. The beauty of that is he doesn't stay silent We walked, uh, John Mickey and myself walked today into a couple of life groups with our prayer journals in hand. And while I can guarantee you today is not a sales pitch for going and buying a prayer journal, let me assure you what it is. The practice of prayer journaling for me allows me to see that God not only hears my prayers, but he answers them. How do you know when God answers a prayer unless it's yours? As a pastor, I have people all the time that come to me and say, Brother Kyle, Um, would you pray for this about me? And I honestly say yes, but I always do it right then. You know why? Because the next moment someone else is going to say it. The next moment someone else is going to say it. Y'all experience that with me. When people know you pray, they ask you to pray. And so I started journaling it. When you tell me to pray for something, I write it in my prayer journal. And what's amazing is I've had the blessing of getting to see your prayers answered. That's the beauty of it. Can I just tell you for a second, we have seen God do the amazing here. We have a church member that was battling cancer, was given some terminal answers for that. And we began to pray for her, healed, healed. We've seen people come through and say, I'm afraid of what the next, uh, you know, look into this part of my body is going to be. They found a spot and they go in and it's gone. Let me just tell you something, God not only hears our prayers, he is actively answering our prayers. So when you pray, don't pray as someone that has a God that does not hear. Listen, if you want to pray to a God that doesn't hear, start praying to Buddha. He doesn't hear you, he's a statue. He sits around, he's the fat guy. But if you want to pray to a God that hears you, pray to the one true God. Pray the God that not only hears you, but he is actively moving I heard someone the other day say, Brother Kyle, you and I have been praying for something for a long time. I don't want to tell you what they were praying for, but it was a problem amongst their family. I said, I'm praying that for you too. What have you done to change? And They said, oh, we haven't changed anything. I said, then you're not praying right. It's like saying, God, move me off this stage. Lord God, I know you can make my feet move, but move me off this stage. God, move me off the stage. I know you can make my feet move, God, but move me off the stage. I kind of wonder if God in heaven goes, okay, I made you. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't forget that. Move off the stage. Move. Get to moving. Let me show you what I can do because as soon as I get off the stage, what can God do next? So I'm just saying today, if you're not a prayer warrior Start in the significant moments of being a marginal prayer person that writes down their prayers and see what God does. I'm convinced of this, too. There's so many of you today that are prayer ninjas. You say, okay, let's pray. God, I don't want anybody to hear me, God, but you know what's going on. I believe that we're supposed to share that. I believe that today you're supposed to share that prayer burden with others. Who have you shared your prayers with today? Who have you asked to join you in prayer today? Be a bold person. Share your prayer life. Share your prayer dreams so that others can join you. Last week we talked about that God is faithful. He is always constantly there. Today, we're going to talk about what happens when you begin to pray. God starts to fix those wounds that you start off with, and he strengthens you completely. Let's look at the text together. Verse 7, it says this, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart rejoices, and I will praise him with my song. It answers everything that we start off with that we don't possess. How do we know we don't possess it? Because God becomes it. And our weakness, God is our strength. So the strength for the weak. That's what the Lord becomes. The strength for our weak. He exchanges the weakness we start off with and he strengthens us by himself. He becomes the shield for the defenseless. The shield for the defenseless. He gives us his armor, doesn't he? And he says, I've given you everything you need. Heard someone say one day, you notice in the armor of God, there is nothing that covers your back. But isn't that amazing how God always has your back? But what I always find amazing is this, the battle's not even yours. It's never been yours. All you get to do is dress in his armor. He's got the battle. When we let him take the battle, we get to stand in his armor and go, Get him, God. Woo! Yes. In the midst of the Civil War, the first war was about to break out. They're on one side of this field and the other. People came out with their picnic baskets, sat down, chilled out, eating sandwiches. This battle's going to be great. And it started boom 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 and then they started to notice the carnage before them they went oh oh! not as fun some of y'all have been locked in battle you're not even the bystander you're just getting whipped by the enemy that is not what God's called you to do in Christ you're to be a victor in Christ you're not wounded you are saved by Christ and if the battle is his let him do some fighting in your life. Now is the time to start praying, God, I'm locked in a battle. I am being wounded in this battle, and it's all yours. So Father, take your stand. Remember we talked that when God arises, the enemies rush out. So when the battle starts and God's doing the fighting, there is no weapon that can be formed against him. It's impossible. What's more is when he is fighting the battle, no weapon can be formed against you. Because when God's doing the fighting, everyone else takes a step back. Because he is the biggest and the baddest. He is the Leroy Brown of the spiritual realm. Baddest cat in the whole town. We'll just leave it like that. (laughs) I almost said it out loud. Thank you, Lord. Uh, that will made it on YouTube, y'all. I'm just saying right now. I know y'all. Anyways, um, <laughs> not only is he the strength in our weakness, not only is he the shield for the defenseless, but he is a heart home for the untrusting. He is a heart home for the untrusting. It says it here in Scripture. It says, My heart trusts in Him. We are led by our hearts. And so, where our hearts find their home is where we'll put our trust. Everyone says, Oh, home is where the heart is. Let me just tell you about your home. Your home is not going to last, it's broken. Believe me, I've sold a home before. It's broken. When we try and sell a home, you have to fix everything about your home. You're like, I didn't know that was even broken. But now I get to fix it so someone else doesn't have to fix it. Thank you, Lord. Y'all have been there, right? But I want to tell you something. When your heart is at home with God, this world can't touch your heart. Which means this, when the worst days come, your heart has a home with someone who takes care of you. How do we go through and celebrate God in the bad times? We leave our heart with Him. We leave our heart with Him. So when the bad times come, our heart is with God, and we can celebrate Him. Reminded today of what it looks like when soldiers are going through battle and have to wade through water. They bind up all of their gear, and they hold it above their heads to keep their their stuff from getting soaked. That other pair of socks, that other pair of clothes. And they carry it and they wade through the water with with their gear above their heads. That is the exact look of a person whose heart is at home with God. When the storms come, the heart is unwavered because when they come, the heart is with God. He is a heart home for the untrusting and He is the help for the abandoned. He is the help for the abandoned. We're helped. So when David writes, the Lord is my strength and my shield, my heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart rejoices and I praise him with my song. How do we celebrate? We celebrate knowing that we cannot do this alone. We can't even hope to make it through on our own. We can't battle on our own. We can't win on our own. We can't sustain on our own. We can't build on our own. We must have the Lord. And when we have him, he is more than efficient. He is sufficient. He fills us to the brim. He changes our lives. He doesn't want to just be okay with you. He wants to wreck you for his glory so that you can do exceedingly more than you can do on your own. He doesn't want you to be an okay Christian. Okay Christians are the kind of people that sit and are just like meanies on Facebook. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus juke. or well, I would never. Instead, a dynamic growing Christian shows up and says, Jesus so loved the world and they show it with their lives. We will not sit behind our computer screens and demand the world to change. We will go and serve the world and show them that Jesus is the change. We will not stand back and be bystanders to our world. We will be world changers because of Jesus. We can do better. We must do better. But it all starts by giving ourselves over to something greater than we are. So we can celebrate because of Jesus. We can celebrate because of Jesus. We can celebrate because today in the midst of a nation in turmoil, in the midst of maybe your family in turmoil, maybe your finances are in turmoil, maybe your workplace is in turmoil, maybe your whole life is being shattered. We can celebrate because we don't serve one another. We serve Jesus. And he changes our lives. Today, I started by saying my hope today is that as you're hearing the word that you're saying in your life, I have yet to give my everything to the Lord. I am yet to just fall headlong over into who he is. It is more than just being okayed by Jesus. It is being consumed by him. And maybe today you'd say, I I have not done that. I still have all these things that I control. I still have all these things that are all me. I still depend upon me. I still depend upon this. And you haven't given your everything to the Lord. Today is your day to say to him, all to Jesus, I surrender. Remember that song? All to Him I Freely Give. The reason it says all to Jesus is not some of Jesus I surrender. Today is your day to come with your all. Today is your day to have a spiritual culture change in your life. It's to allow the Spirit of God to shift you into who He wants you to be. But it starts by you giving Him your everything, not just your sum but you're everything. I remember a story I heard a long time ago, and I finally found out where it came from. North Carolina. North Carolina was a a church. It was older. Um, It was in a community that was kind of dying off. And uh, this group came through town of young people. They came and they sat in the back, except for a few that were outside smoking. And this old church was super legalistic and ritualistic and an old man was walking through and he saw the young people smoking and he just rolled his eyes and he walked in and he huffed and he puffed and he looked at his fellow parishioners and said there's some young people out in the parking lot smoking and they're oh my gosh oh and they just all crossed their arms and song service started and you know piano and organ and, and lead singer and they sang through some hymns and then the preacher got up to preach and as he stood up, one of the young men in the parking lot finally came in. He had long hair, ratted clothes, reeked of cigarettes. And he tried to find his place in the back, but it was full. And so he, he began to walk up, and he couldn't find any place. And, and so he had to sit next to that older man. Dun, dun, dun. He sat down, the old man just, Oh. And he did the whole, you know, you can smell something that, you know. Young man just stood there, kind of, I mean, he could tell he was unwanted. And that old church pastor fired away a, a hellfire and brimstone message. And as they were giving the time of invitation, that young man stood. And he came and he knelt down at the front with his hands open crying out to God what they didn't know is in the back of the room was the oldest member of the church didn't say much kept to himself and they saw him get up and pass them all as they were judging this young man they're like well he def- he definitely needs Jesus if anybody in this room that kid needs Jesus and the old man walked up and he got on his knees and he put his arm around that young man and as loud as he could say it he said this We both need Jesus, don't we, son? We all need Jesus, y'all. Doesn't matter where you came from, how long your hair is, if you smoked a cigarette in our parking lot or not. We all need Jesus. You know why? Because God so loved the world, he gave Jesus for everyone. Not just for the ones that, that are dressed the part, but for everyone. And Scripture tells us this, that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, has the Lord shielded you? Has the Lord helped you? Has the Lord sustained you? Has he strengthened you? Do you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? I want to pray for you. And as I pray, here's what's going to happen. Our orchestra and choir uh, singers up here and praise team are going to come. They're going to sing a song, and during that song, we're going to have what we call a time of invitation. During that time, we three ministers will be standing up here to greet you. Here's what we'd ask for you to do. If you'd like to give your life to Christ and don't know the next steps, come talk to one of us. Maybe this morning you would say this, I love this place. I want to make it my church home. Come talk to us about what that means. Maybe today you'd say this, like I did as a teenager. I've known Jesus a long time, but I've yet to give him my everything. And today I want to make that happen. Today is your day to do the same. We have these steps up here at the front, and you'll see this happen. People will come down and they'll kneel or sit on them and pray. You're invited to do that as well. I said at the very first of the service, I asked you to come ready today to celebrate Jesus. This is where it's done, and how we respond to him. Today, will you take Jesus with you as you leave this room, strengthened and ready to go and see our world changed because you're the kind of person that has been changed by Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, move in this place. May your spirit fall fresh right now. Lord, change the mood, change the tone. God, change everything about it, Lord, so that someone would give their life to Jesus today. Lord, that's what we're praying for. We ask that you move in a mighty way today, God. Lord, that today people all over the world would see a change because that one person has given you their everything. Lord, it may start small. It may just start in Amarillo, Texas, but it's going to change the world. So, Father, change the world through us today. In this time, as we respond, may we be changed by you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Stand with me.